my book? Uh, it's the opposite of an, a book about achievements, really. It was very, very nice of you, Rosie, to talk about my um, uh, moderate achievements in the world of journalism. This isn't a, a book about achievements. It's not a book about I did this and I did that. It starts on a beach in Dorset and my stepfather swimming out to sea and um, ducking under the waves. He's quite a good swimmer. And me as a very young child sitting with my mother on the beach, uh, hoping that he would die, hoping that he would not come back. Uh, and the book gets more and more cheerful from that moment on. Uh, and I'm only slightly joking. I hope it has humor in it, but it is the book of a very, very strange, eccentric and unhappy and lonely childhood. And it's a book about how no one was to blame for that, how there is atonement and forgiveness of all the things that we do wrong to each other because we are complex human beings and possibly we judge each other. In fact, certainly we judge each other too much now uh, in our social media age based on what we've slightly heard about each other or what we were thinking last Tuesday that we might not be thinking next Tuesday, etc., etc. Um, it's also a book about the 1970s, and that's quite an important part of it. So my mother goes to the doctor after she has married my stepfather, Charles, about a week afterwards. And she married him in order to protect me. This is 1960, uh, 1961. Um, and there is still um, quite a lot of stigma attached to being a single woman with a child and quite a lot of practical difficulty as well. So she hooks up with Charles. She meets him via the um, pages of the New Statesman, very early adopter of um, the kind of dating rules that are now pretty commonplace. She um, marries him. A week later, she finds him in the morning pouring the milk down the sink. Uh, and he says it's been poisoned. And she has an appointment anyway with the doctor. So she thinks it's something she maybe ought to mention to him. So she does. And the doctor, who was also Charles's doctor, turns to her and says, uh, Mrs. Webber, I'm sorry to inform you, your husband is stark staring mad. And that was the diagnosis. The treatment was Valium. It didn't really do much good. And my mother was stuck not only now with me, but also with uh, this stark staring mad uh, stepfather. And a problem over my real father, which I'll get to in a few moments time. My mother was an extraordinary woman. She was staggeringly affectionate and loving me. I can still feel her love now, many, many years after she died. I know she would want even this to be a success because everything that I was involved with, she was involved with. And it is an extraordinary power that. She was also a brilliant speaker of Spanish, a member of Amnesty International, a CND person. She went to Greenham Common, a deeply serious person, a Quaker. At the same time, she was a snob of the most staggering proportions. Uh, even now, I cannot say in a BBC script the word toilet. And let's be blunt, when uh, Jeremy Hunt was culture secretary, we quite often said ruder things than toilet on the air. I cannot bring myself to say it. Mother would not approve. She thought it was disgusting and it could not possibly be said on air or indeed anywhere else. But it didn't stop with uh, toilet. Uh, in fact, it got bizarre. It included begonias. 
which she regarded as a lower middle class plant. Uh, it included um, the word controversy when the second syllable was pronounced, uh, so it was pronounced controversy. Uh, she couldn't stand that either. And there was a whole list of words that were mispronounced, she thought. Um, it, it went particularly to French words that had been anglicized. So perfume, I can remember from a very early age, was scent. Uh, and frankly, for me, still is. Uh, serviette had to be napkin. We had a lot of difficulty with furniture in a room because sofas and settees and the rest of it were all banned. And we called our large chair a divan uh, with a slight stress on the last syllable. Why? Goodness only knows. What does this do to you? Well, it was the 70s. And here, I think, is where the 70s become quite important uh, because the 70s were a period in the nation's history where we were changing from one thing to another. We were changing from our sort of collectivist society, our post-war collectivism, uh, into something very different, something uh, more individualistic. But it was also, of course, a long time ago. And what fascinates me is how some of the attitudes from the 70s still persist in people of my age. I'm 60 or so and actually still persist throughout society. When I told my um, daughter Clara one day as I was driving her home from school when she was a young child, I was talking about the depredations of my youth. And I said, um, you know, daddy, daddy didn't even have a car when we were when, when he grew up. And she said, oh, when were they invented? In other words, to the young generation, the 70s just feel like this other age. And in a sense, I think they're right, because it was the age when you could still be a member of a large organization subsumed in that organization, uh, cosseted by that organization, whether it was a trade union, a political party, a church, this was uh, a period, the 70s, of hugeness. Um, this period where I grew up, I, was, um, I, I came of age, as it were, in 1979, took my A-levels in 1979, so Mrs. Thatcher finally comes to power. The nation does begin to change uh, a lot. But the period of the 70s that I remember, for all the obvious things that were awful about it, and the coal dust and the misery, actually, of three-day weeks and IRA bombs and all the rest of it, there is this weird thing that social class and snobbery kind of did for us all. It protected us. It protected my mum, who was on the way down socially. And I think that's an interesting thing. There were This was the era of distressed gentlefolk, and my mother was certainly one of them, and my granny, uh, hugely one of them. My granny, who used to drink sweet wine out of a medicine bottle in a wimpy bar, uh, at lunchtime in Bath, where she lived. Uh, sweet wine, my mother had told me, was working class when it was drunk with a meal. So I once said to her, why does granny uh, do something that is so obviously working class? And she laughed and said, well, granny's granny. And of course, this wonderful thing when you're very, very sure of yourself is that absolutely nothing ever gets in your way. Uh, my mother thought the queen was common. Uh, because the Queen had opened up Buckingham Palace to um, uh, the TV cameras, the BBC, I guess, in the late 1960s, which she thought was a, was a vulgar thing to do. Those class things protect you. They protected mum. And also, of course, it's fair to say, they protected hugely, psychologically, 
people who were genuinely downtrodden, who my mum regarded uh, as the lower orders, and she would use those, those words without irony, they also protected them because you could genuinely say to yourself, well, I'm never going to be a judge. And that famous Peter Cook sketch, I can't be a judge because I don't have the Latin. Uh, well, you didn't. And if you hadn't been to Eton, you probably couldn't be a judge. But you could be a minor and you could feel that the things that were keeping you down were not were not your own fault. And I think actually, weirdly, that was a psychological relief valve um, that we've lost in, in the period since. I should mention my biological father. He was Peter Woods, very famous newsreader in the uh, 1970s. I found out about him when my mother turned to the television one evening. I must have been watching Blue Peter or something, and the news came on, and it was him. And she said, that man's your father. And she never mentioned it again. And she never wanted to. And I knew she never wanted to. At an early stage, knew viscerally that she never wanted to. Uh, and I never really mentioned it to her again either. There was one rather sticky moment when he came on the Morecambe and Wise show. All the newsreaders came on and he uh, ended the show by singing There Ain't Nothing Like a Dame. He had a very deep voice and my mother kind of coughed. And I think my stepfather um, said, well, we'd better put the television away. And my mother said the words, which I'll always remember. He had shoes like the Queen Mary. Um, and that was it. Uh, it was an odd, repressed, strange childhood. It was a childhood that also um, resulted then because my mother was desperate for me to get away from this peculiar home life with this person who was behaving very, very uh, oddly on a good day and absolutely in a deranged manner on a bad day. She wanted me to get away. She sent me to a Quaker boarding school. And, um, you know, the old Woody Allen joke about being so weedy or beaten up by Quakers. Well, I, I was actually uh, <laughs> beaten up by Quakers, because all schools, all kind of minor league private schools in the 1970s, I think were pretty dreadful. But it is extraordinary that the Quakers um, oversaw a school that was um, pretty horrific in its own right. Not horrific in terms of the uh, teachers being beastly to the children, though occasionally they were, but more actually in the kind of Lord of the Flies way that we were beastly to each other. Um, which I talk a bit about um, in the school. And just that 1970s thing that nobody really cared. Um, uh, a hilarious example, hilarious in retrospect, because I don't think anyone ever in the end got stuck, but there was a thing called the Sidcote School Speleological Society, the caving group, which was mainly boys, actually. Girls didn't cave in those days, uh, who would go out at the weekends to the caves in the Mendips, and there are lots of caves in the Mendips around um, Wiki Hole and places like that, Cheddar, and go down caves. Nobody knew where they are or even thought to ask. And uh, uh, when the new headmaster came right at the end of my time at the school, that was one of the first questions he asked, and he was roundly despised by everyone for asking it. In the 70s, you just didn't care. It properly was um, another country. There is also, um, uh, if I've got, I don't know, 30 seconds or a minute more, um, I think I probably have. What is my time? Yeah. Let, let me take one minute just to say it's also about an era ending and all the things that my mother believed coming unstuck. Just a, a, a couple of years ago, I was walking past the Ritz Hotel in London and I was on my way to do a corporate event. 
and I realized that the top button of my shirt had come out, it, 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 it had fallen off. And um, my mother used to tell me stories of going into the Ritz with men friends when she was in her young, um, a wild phase and asking in the middle of the night for a boiled egg, because in the Ritz, my dear, um, if you speak properly, they'll give you anything you want. Uh, so I, I suddenly, for some reason, I channeled her. I thought the easiest thing to do is just go into the Ritz and see if she is right. And I went in and I said to them, look, I'm terribly sorry. I've lost the button at the top of my shirt. Is it possible for someone to mend it? And I was taken into a side room. Yes, of course, sir. And they did it all. And, and I said, thank you very much. Um, and it's very kind of you. I was just some random person off the street. There could not have been more helpful. But as I was going, I said to the concierge, I'm a little bit late now. Could I get a taxi as well? And he said, yes, of course, Mr. Vine. I'll order you one. And the awful thing was that my mother would have hoped that I got the button sewn because of my breeding. The reality in 2015, 16, whenever this was, was that it was celebrity. They had mistaken me for Jeremy Vine, who was then absolutely a celebrity, had just been on uh, Strictly Come Dancing, etc. That era um, that my mother celebrated and then in many ways protected her um, was over. And it, it, in, in some respects, I think it kind of provided for me a full stop. Um, albeit very long after the event, to my uh, peculiar and eccentric childhood. With that, Rosie, I'll hand back to you.